Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that helps you translate President Trump. We take a deep look at the news of the day in the current administration. We also look into the deep cultural issues. We are today going to do that in depth. Very interesting, kind of a departure today. Heather MacDonald, she's a frequent guest on this show and was on my radio show. She's the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor of City Journal. We're going to talk to her about the culture, about Me Too. We're going to use uh, most of our time today to go in depth with Heather MacDonald on this Placido Domingo story. Uh, very disturbing. It's a perfect example of cultural problem we are having in this country with political correctness. And as in all these cases, there's something real, which is male harassment, serious harassment of women, even worse, Harvey Weinstein, etc., uh, Epstein as well. But what sometimes gets collapsed into it or confused into it is kind of natural male interest and flirtation with women. But we have a problem when natural male flirtation and interest and expression of interest becomes the same as harassment, harassment or sexual aggression. Are there men who do terrible things? Yes. Are there men who come after women and will not take no for an answer? Yes. We want to destroy the relationship of between the sexes. We want to destroy flirtation. No, I can't do better on this than to use this wonderful example of Placido Domingo and his rise and now fall, or at least exit, from the uh, international stage. It's an extraordinary story, and I want you all to listen to it. Let's get to this cultural issue. We're going to take some time on this, and uh, just please please be patient. Listen to it, into it, and you will see why it is important and significant and a kind of uh, test case for the culture wars that we're in. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. All right, it's time to welcome Heather MacDonald to the program. Heather is the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor of City Journal. Heather, um, you begin your piece, uh, the piece is titled The Defenestration of Domingo. The Me Too movement has ended the U.S. career of legendary 78-year-old Spanish tenor Placido Domingo, one of classical music's greatest ambassadors and impresarios. For nearly half a century, Domingo's intense stage presence and warm, soaring voice captivated opera audiences. During the 90s, he reached millions of new listeners as a member of the itinerant three tenors. In recent years, long after most singers have retired from the stage, he has continued a grueling international performance schedule, now singing baritone roles with remarkable pitch control and legato. What happened to him? He was brought down by civilization-hating, resentful, extreme feminism. Uh, the Me Too movement in its, has, has entered a phase of despotism, uh, hatred, and destruction for its own sake. Uh, the AP, the Associated Press, had been on a multi-year crusade to try and collect stories. Anonymous was fine, uh, alleging that Domingo uh, was, was a, sort of a Latin lover type and uh, made advances, sexual advances to women in his orbit. 
the stories that they collected, 20 of them, all but two anonymous, dated from the 1990s, the 1980s, and the earliest were the 2000s. When they published their stories, uh, you know, without any uh, notice to him, without giving him an opportunity to respond, the classical music world went into a fetal position uh, and completely caved to these feminist harpies that at this point simply want to take down uh, male civilization. Uh, You're right. On August 13th, 2019... However, the AP announced that nine females, all but one anonymous, all but one or all but two. One, the first story uh, of um, was uh, nine females, all but one anonymous. That was August 13th. Then they had a follow-up on September 5th with another 11 accusers again, all but one anonymous. So two out of 20, uh, two were named. The rest were all anonymous. Finishing this uh, brief paragraph, they were accusing Domingo of making unwanted sexual advances decades ago. The accusers, chorus singers, a few small-time soloists and one ballet dancer, alleged wet kisses, solicitations to rehearse at his apartment, whispered blandishments while on stage, a hand down a shirt or up a skirt in cabs, and persistent phone calls. What about these charges? Well, uh, some of them are undoubtedly misremembered. Some of them are misinterpreting things. I, however, am taking the radical uh, position, the strong position, Bill, uh, which is I am willing to concede that this is a man who is operating in a environment which is the performing arts of heightened sexual tension, erotic power. It is simply the reality. Domingo was himself the nonstop object of unwanted sexual advances from females. Young fans would would scheme to get his phone number into his hands, ambushing his aides at the uh, doors of opera houses or Carnegie Hall. Wealthy socialites connived to get him into their limousines so that they could uh, start an affair with him. This was a complete two-way street. Uh, There was no charges against him that he used force. When he was told explicitly to back off, he did so. This is by the accuser's own admission. And there are no charges that he ever used his authority uh, as a quid pro quo, a phrase we're all sadly very familiar with these days. (laughs) This was not one. This was also not one. Uh, he, He is... For all he's the Latin lover, you know, charismatic type, by all accounts, including uh, the NPR, got on the bandwagon late in the game. They, unfortunately for them, could not find anybody else that alleged an unwanted sexual advance. Nevertheless, they went forward with the usual hysterical uh, reporting. But even the people that were saying, oh, I can't even be in the same planet with Domingo, I feel so unsafe, admitted this man was the soul of chivalry, of courtesy, of gratitude, of goodwill, and that is what should matter. Not dredged up uh, advances two decades ago that are simply part of life. The AP story I'm reading from your essay rocketed around the world. 
Domingo issued a statement claiming that the allegations as presented were inaccurate, while acknowledging that standards have changed. Then what happened? What happened to him from these different organizations, from orchestras, associations? What happened to his invitations, to his concerts? The invitations and the rhetoric, Bill, the the withdrawal, the cowardice in the face of, of this crusade was absolutely nauseating. The first thing that happened, the Philadelphia Orchestra booted him from their opening gala with a press release that was an absolute classic of intimidated elite rhetoric in the face of feminist uh, uh, bludgeoning. They said, we're committed to providing a safe and supportive environment for our orchestra, our staff, our composers, our audiences, and our communities. Uh, so let's, let's parse this a little bit, Bill. Apparently, Domingo performing in a opening season gala on on the stage of Kimmel Hall puts Philadelphia Orchestra's communities at risk, whether it's West Philadelphia or the main line. If you're a female living out in the main line, you are at risk and danger from this toxic masculinity. The San Francisco Opera followed suit, canceled Domingo from its season opening gala, the LA Opera, where which he had founded in one of his many, many entrepreneurial gifts to to classical music. Uh, they suspended him from day-to-day management. He had founded the LA Opera and was the uh, ongoing general manager of it. Uh, the, the Metropolitan Opera, where Domingo was scheduled to open uh, Verdi's Macbeth in September, said it would await the outcome of a L.A. opera investigation into Domingo. So that was the first round of, of cowardly cancellations, and a second round would soon follow. I want to uh, read this. This just struck me. I, I've underlined it's almost the whole article. But nevertheless, on Friday, September 20, NPR ran a story with this headline. Met Opera faces one more catastrophic crisis as employees must work with Domingo. Let's again look at this rhetoric because this is this is the marker of our time. They NPR was late to the game. They, you know, they're desperately trying to get people to say, "Oh, I say, telling me we were assaulted." Uh, they couldn't, but so they found four anonymous employees of the Metropolitan Opera. Again, remember this is late September. Uh, Domingo and the Russian superstar soprano Anna Trebko are set to open in Verdi's Macbeth in five days. Uh, And so NPR gets four anonymous members of the Metropolitan Opera staff. We don't know who these people are. And they are reporting that uh, people in the orchestra playing in the pit, the Metropolitan Opera, if any of your, your listeners have been to the Met, Bill, the pit is like a mile away from the stage. It is it is the biggest house in the country. Nevertheless, NPR reported through this anonymous employee that there was an orchestra member saying that she was she was made basically nauseous. Uh, She felt queasy being in the pit, just seeing Domingo on stage. This is ridiculous. This is feminist hysteria taken to a point of sheer irrationality. The the headline from this NPR story, one more catastrophic crisis as employees must work with Domingo. Can we remind people, 
Domingo is one of the greatest artists of our time. To work with Domingo is a privilege. This is now being turned into a catastrophe because a 78 year old who again the stories the latest story excuse me let's let's bear that in mind 78 years old i mean you know only so much you can do go ahead exactly even if he's supercharged and and and, you know red-blooded go ahead even if he was and at this point uh he'd have to be absolutely suicidal with with the with the attention on him to even suggest uh, that a female is is you know doing a wonderful job, you know it's just it's just crazy, and yet and yet the the rhetoric of hysteria of risk of danger just keeps rolling out of the presses. I want to ask you about you for a second. The day after the NPR story, again, I'm reading from your article. Saturday, September 21, was the dress rehearsal for Macbeth, which I attended. You went, did you go knowing about these allegations? Were you afraid? Was I afraid? (laughs) I should have been. You're absolutely right. I was in Rose Z, which is pretty far back, and yet, nevertheless, uh, I should have had some sort of of shield on me. But I guess I was just, I'm just a reckless person, Bill, Uh, and uh, and, and went in there. Tell us, tell us about the appearance and the and the uh, and what happened at the beginning. Well, uh, he got a very warm applause uh, when he walked on stage. Uh, now, you know, I don't know. I would hope that that was in defiance for what had been front page New York Times stories now for for several weeks. But it may just be that audiences love Domingo. They understand what he's given to the art form. Now, we do know uh, over the summer in August at the Salzburg Festival in Austria, which is the most important classical music uh, venue in the world, there was a thunderous standing ovation after his performance in Verdi's Louisa Miller. That was clearly uh, the Austrian and German audience's show of support for this great artist in the face of this American fanaticism. That day you were there, you're right, his co-superstar Russian soprano Anna Netrebko had posted her support for Domingo on Instagram after the first AP story, pointedly saying how much she was looking forward to their Met engagement together. Netrebko was a blazing Lady Macbeth, ruthlessly egging on her partner to ever more bloody deeds, and her duets with Domingo were charged and headstrong. Good show, huh? Good show. It was very good. It was very good. He both were very confident. Uh, you know, this is, he's, he's now moving into baritone roles as he ages. There's, I don't think we have any, uh, precedent for somebody with as long a career as Domingo has had. He has just protected his voice and, uh, you know, he's, he's, his career was as a tenor. Obviously, as you age, the high notes get harder and harder. But uh, he has taken up the baritone role, which uh, Macbeth in, in Verdi's uh, Macbeth is a baritone, but, but he sang it quite wonderfully. By the next day, on the eve of the Macbeth opening, Domingo was out. He and the Met issued dueling press releases in which each party claimed that it had made the withdrawal decision. Domingo thanked the Met's leadership for graciously granting his request to withdraw from the production. Wow. The Mets said that Domingo had agreed to withdraw from all future performances, effective immediately. Lest there were any ambiguity about the scope of his withdrawal, Domingo's press release said that he considered the Macbeth dress rehearsal his last performance on the Met stage. You saw maybe his last performance on the Met stage, huh? I saw his last performance in the United States. 
his his U.S. career is now over. He he, there is not a single venue that will take him. Uh, he continues to get uh, performances in Europe and Russia, which are are not as crazy as we are. But yes, I feel extraordinarily privileged. I had no idea, obviously, at the time. You know, it, it seemed for a bit that the Metropolitan Opera, the general manager Peter Gelb, uh, was going to stand up for the integrity of the art form and and his artists. But after this NPR crusade, after a revolt of the uh, orchestra musicians and chorus after the dress rehearsal that I attended where we got, you know, the the the, the safety rhetoric, the, the threat rhetoric being hurled at Peter Gelb, he caved uh, and and was not willing to stand up to his low-level employees to vindicate uh, the, the greatness of this man's art. There's another dimension to him. Uh, this is earlier in your piece, but if you would discuss it, his, uh, his generosity, his charitable work. Can you say a word yeah. about that? Right. He, um, he's created numerous institutions within classical music that are essential to providing young singers with a venue to expand their talents. He created the International Opera Competition, Operalia, and other uh, prize competitions in Los Angeles. He was He's Spanish by by birth, but he was raised in Mexico City. His parents were uh, ran an opera company of a Spanish folk opera form called Zazuela. Uh, so he sort of thinks of himself as a Mexican. So after the Mexican earthquake uh, of the 1990s, he led the fundraising efforts there. Uh, he has been. Again, all of his all of his colleagues testified to his extraordinary generosity and. You know, it's, it's extraordinarily important to create institutions that will keep this art form alive. And he has been one of the, the most far-sighted entrepreneurs in classical music of our time. We're talking to Heather MacDonald about Placido Domingo and the end of his career, at least the end of his U.S. career. So when he's done in the U.S., the gloating, again, I'm reading from your piece, Heather, gloating was immediate. Deborah Katz, a high-profile sex discrimination lawyer who represents Patricia Wolf. Who's Patricia Wolf? Patricia Wolf was the, uh, in the first batch of AP story, the, the uh, August um, uh, 13th story, she was the one uh, not anonymous accuser. She said she said Domingo never touched her but he used to whisper in her ear uh, after performances are you sure you have to go home tonight so this caused her endless trauma okay uh, Deborah Katz, her lawyer, announced that Domingo's resignation from L.A. Opera was an important and welcome step in the effort to end sexual misconduct by powerful men in the opera industry. Where else do we know uh, Deborah Katz from? Well, this was Deborah Katz's final revenge because her previous effort to take down a great uh, contributor to civilization failed. She represented Christine Blasey Ford in the uh, debacle trying to, to discredit Brett Kavanaugh from his Supreme Court uh, nomination by Donald Trump. Uh, so she is a very high-profile uh, feminist lawyer who sees the male patriarchy every time she opens her eyes. The, I want you to do these uh, each, if you can, maybe fairly briefly, but this is very important. 
There are three possible justifications for Domingo's scourging, each more unpersuasive than the last. The first is to punish his past behavior. What's wrong with that? Statute of limitations. It's way too late. These, again, how are you supposed to defend yourself against an anonymous accuser from the 1980s? I mean, we, Bill, you and I, maybe you've, you've got a much more public career than I do. We cannot possibly imagine the number of interactions this man has had. He's in a world that is teeming with workers. Uh, these are anonymous accusations, even if he didn't publish them. Uh, you can't, you can't, if, if, if this was really so traumatic, which again, I'm skeptical. I don't believe it. I think this is all feminist delusion. But if it were so traumatic, then when this happened would have been the time to to raise it. Uh, none of these complainants who came forward 30 20 years after the fact, raised a complaint at the time. So the statute of limitations just precludes you from trying to bring somebody down now because justice is impossible this far after the fact. I'll talk about my public life here a little bit uh, since you referred to it. For I was talking to my wife about this for around 30, 40 years now. I have been pretty public. I've gone to speeches and they usually ask for session, photograph session. Um, I have in those photograph sessions, you know, they say get closer. So I will occasionally put my hand around someone's wife's waist to, you know, get closer, get your armor. And I guess um, over 30 years, I probably have said, because my wife has said, cut it out, um, to the man, you're you're a lucky guy. You're a lucky husband. You got a beautiful wife here. I guess I got to stop that, huh? That's right. Uh, You know, I... I frankly think that the crusade against Joe Biden is, is uh, you know, well, Biden is hardly at the same level of Domingo as his importance to us as, as human beings. Nevertheless, come on. There are a range of, of course, different people. Of course. Did, did you see the president? Uh, you probably didn't. This is you were listening to opera, but I was watching the president when the Washington Nationals. You may not know, Heather, they won the World Series. Did you know? I, I was, right. It was an amazing game. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. I just, you know, I just, I'm so impressed with your highbrow stuff that I don't know if you, you know, participate with the rest of us down there in the. <laughs> In the pit. I had a bet riding on it. All right, good. good. You won it. So he was there, and the Nationals came to the White House. And the catcher, Suzuki, came up, and he was wearing a MAGA hat. And the president got behind him and put his arms under Suzuki's arms and his hands on his chest. And a couple of commentators said, I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, you know, it's a catcher. He's wearing a hat. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Anyway... Okay, so yeah, uh, yeah, I want to get to the anonymous thing here at the end, but the second justification you say that's been offered, a symbolic one to demonstrate feminist solidarity. According to the New York Times, you write, Heather, the Metropolitan Opera needed to show its commitment to protecting women and rooting out sexual harassment by ejecting Domingo. What about that? Well, you know, for one, feminists don't need solidarity. They're running the show, Bill. <laughs> the idea that they need any support is, is uh, I think, by now ludicrous. Nevertheless, uh, you don't show solidarity at the expense of the truth. And, well, as I say, I'm taking the radical strong position here, which is that I'm willing to concede uh, that, that some of these events may have been true. I don't think it's I, my, my view is who cares. Nevertheless, you you know you do need a strong evidentiary basis uh for making these symbolic gestures uh and and you don't destroy a man's career 
for the sake of showing that you are woke when it comes to feminism. Third justification is the most frequently invoked. We've talked about this already a little bit. Safety. Mere presence. Domingo's mere presence in an opera house or concert hall allegedly puts the safety of that venue's female employees at risk. 78-year-old opera singer. Yeah, 78-year-old opera singer. We are in a realm of sheer hysteria, Bill. Sheer hysteria. Uh, I thought that females were supposed to be so strong. The fact of the matter is... Which way is it? Yeah. Which way? It's it's whichever way you get the most uh, power at that moment. Uh, You know, we live in a world where the public realm and the erotic realms interpenetrate. And there are certain biological realities of males and females, you put them together, Eros will make its appearance. Uh, And one of the things that females have to do as part of their repertoire of life is know how to deal with sexual advances from males. That doesn't mean that you are unsafe. Nobody has alleged unsafety from Domingo. There was no violence here. There was no force. Several of these anonymous accusers had voluntary sexual involvement with him. And then, and then they ended it, and that ended everything. Nevertheless, they're 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 claiming uh, that they were unsafe. So, you know, this is this rhetoric that's coming out of campus. It, it applies to feminism. It applies to race. You know. My presence on campus is said to make students feel unsafe or be unsafe. Your presence. My presence, of course. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm protested all the time uh, because I don't buy into the student victimology. So, so I'm going to be speaking at Bucknell, and they're already organizing little safe spaces where they can make happiness rocks. You know, to try and to get them through uh, the trauma of having me be on their campus. Hard so this, this is this mod, this is this model and rhetoric that is now the dominant uh, uh, tool that the victimologists use. All right, I got two kind of duh questions, which is how can you hang somebody for an anonymous, you know, accusation? I mean, how, how can that happen at all? I mean, I, I just. With no facts, no evidence. I mean, since this freight train, uh, I call it big feminism, is moving down the track. And is is it the governing part of the liberal ideology, uh, or is it the immigration lobby? I, I don't know, but but it's big and it's powerful. Um, I, so so it, my point is, if it's this big train that's moving down there, hey, why not just sign up and say, yeah, I was, you know, I was uh, I was uh, in charge of set design or assistant to the assistant for set design, and he flirted with me too and I but I want to keep it anonymous. What keeps you from doing that? Absolutely nothing. And you know, one of the stories, the anonymous stories that and it's interesting, the AP has scrubbed its two original stories from the web. I don't know if that's a normal practice or if they got such pushback that they they and without issuing a public disclaimer, but one of them of a female who was one of these uh, techie set, you know, backstage persons claimed that Domingo in front of her, she was she was standing right next to her supervisor. That Domingo whispered something in her ear. We don't know what. She doesn't say what, but we're supposed to believe that this is something lascivious. Right in front of her supervisor, I find this story completely incredible. Uh, and and to your point, for all we know, because we've heard from people like the head of the Salzburg Festival, that Domingo is just a, a, a fountain of gratitude for people around him, for the highest 
employee to the lowest. He thanks them. He may have just been intending to say, you know, thanks for the great lighting design or something. We don't know that. See, this is anonymous, uh, and this is one of the stories used against him. Unbelievable. Um, Do we want to... Uh, you, you talked about the world of opera, but what the world in general and the relations between the sexes and Eros. Um, Chekhov says he, she, he slash she is the machine that makes fiction work. Uh, there's an old song, Love Makes the World Go Round. Um, do we want to end sexual advances? I mean, all of them? All of them? Well, women clearly don't. I mean, uh, well, men clearly year. don't. Do they? They're just terrified, though. I mean, it's hard of enough. Of they are. It's hard enough. These guys, I remember puberty and sons, you know, and they're not, they're not sure just what to do. And, you know, and, and then this thing comes along and uh, this whole business comes along. These guys are guys are terrified. Well, it takes a lot of courage to make an advance. You may be rebuffed. Yeah. Now, yeah, now, sure. I mean, really, but, you know, I can tell you. I remember my first is- phone call at 13 in Brooklyn, New York. And I kept dialing this Barbara Kavoris' phone number. I hope my wife's not listening. And I kept <laughs> I kept dialing it and hanging up. Yeah. I, was af- I kept being afraid, that, you know, that I'd get her and she'd say no. She wouldn't go, you know, go to a movie. And it's now, terrifying. You know, it is the fate of women to be on the receiving end of unwanted advances. There is a very prominent lawyer in New York City. He's a public intellectual. He's respected by people on the left to a certain extent and the conservatives, works at one of the, the top firms, big partner. He gives wet kisses. He's, he's handsome. <laughs> he Sorry to laugh. Oh, I shouldn't laugh. I shouldn't laugh. Yeah. This is the case. So, you know, am I going to be traumatized by this? No. There are certain uh, strategies you can take. You you turn your cheek right. or you make sure that you're far enough away. Right. That is just reality. Right. right, right. I have a couple of friends. Parties come up. We talk about this. Elaine and I have been married 37 years. And she'll say your friend so-and-so. So, your friend so-and-so is going to. I know when he comes in, he's going to try to. <laughs> Kiss me in the mouth, and I just, I just, I know exactly what to do. Just the last second, you just turn. <laughs> he hits the cheek, right? Yep, exactly. I mean, and women know how to do this. What? But which way is it? Are they helpless and go into trauma when some guy winks at them, or are they woman? Hear me roar. I guess you answered that already. Depends on you know what they want to do at the time. Well, the thing is, Bill. Um, Please observe the billions that women spend every year on breast implants, lip implants, butt yeah. implants, push-up bras, mascara, false eyelashes, Botox, rouge mascara, stiletto heels, split certs, plunging necklines, all to make themselves sexually attractive to males. Every women's magazine these days is not about homemaking. It's about how to improve your sex appeal and have better orgasms. This women are completely complicitous in this. And if men were to, uh, you know, be completely rational and say, this isn't worth it and wait chastely for an invitation before making a, a sexual advance, females would freak out. You know, they, they want this attention. If they didn't want this intention, uh, why are you spending all of this money turning yourself into a sex object? Pache uh, Naomi Wolf, 
who, you know, is, is one of these absolute nutcase feminists. Nobody is making females spend billions of dollars a year on cosmetic enhancements and, and, and makeup and, and, uh, whatever their clothes can do, this is completely a voluntary choice. If you wanted to destroy Western civilization and you wanted to get to the That is my conclusion. Yeah. That is my conclusion. And you wanted to get to the heart of it, a culture like this music of Placido Domingo and, 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 and the differences between the sexes would be a place to go, wouldn't it? Well, you know, my view is is that there are two distinct realms in human life, the public realm of ideas, of achievements, of, of war, frankly, of nation building, uh, that realm is predominantly male. And then there is the realm of Eros. And what somebody does in the realm of Eros should be irrelevant to his accomplishments in the public realm, absent criminal behavior. So, if we found out, say, that James Madison was a skirt chaser after the fact, just like with Domingo, I don't think that should affect our evaluation of his contributions as a public thinker, as a political theorist, as a politician. Likewise, you may remember, Bill, over the summer, only conservative uh, news outlets were willing to report that there's an FBI file allegedly on Martin Luther King. Yeah. Uh, saying that he was at least present during sex orgies that were put on by some of his fellow civil rights things. Now, if the feminists were being consistent, they would say, we now need to defenestrate Martin Luther King. I say no. I say what King did as a civil rights leader and visionary is simply more important than anything he might have done in the realm of Eros. But this is what feminists are doing now is taking aim at a civilization deemed too male. They they hate it. They feel that they can't compete and they're trying to take it down. I have a, a good friend who's a doctor uh, who uh, told me, very conservative, he, he keeps, it, keeps it hidden uh, with his patients, but... Um, he tells funny stories about how they came in, came in to see him after the last election and said liberal patients were suffering from palpitations because of the, because of the election, the loss, you know, and, and Dr. Shirley, you'll, uh, you'll do something. And he, he looks like he's a liberal. He wears black turtlenecks. He has a beard. He's Jewish, you know, so the, the assumption, you know, you go with these little signs. So he says, they all think I'm liberal. So they pour their hearts out. I don't tell them I'm a yeah, big, big yeah. Trump, Trump supporter. I saw some of those in but, Aspen this this, this uh, really? summer. It was amazing. They they all got ponytails. We're not conservative. I couldn't believe it. So yes, I can picture your doctor friend very well. But he's great and he's tough and he's smart. And nevertheless, he was telling me he took his daughter to college and he said, uh, "You yeah, looked okay. We'll see. You know, I hope for the best. But I'm, I know you know we'll probably get the worst kind of liberal indoctrination." He said, well, we got there, we registered, we paid the tuition, we looked around, we chose our pronouns. We, I said, what? What? <laughs> what? And this just went by. And I said, man, if did that bother you? And he kind of shrugged his shoulders. I mean, wow. And I was saying, man, if, if you didn't object to this, if you don't, he said, oh, it's, cra- it's crazy. It's crazy. But we chose our pronouns. This thing is moving so fast. I know. It's moving so fast. Yeah, well, won't it just and come out the other end and just blow up? Won't it just stop? 
Well, it hasn't yet. I don't I know. know. I, I know. know. I, I, that's I what know. I've been saying about the Academy since the right. 70s. I've been saying it's going crazier and crazier, and it's just got to end. You know, argument, people say ad absurdum, but there's a in philosophy is argument ad finum to the final point where it's just ridiculous. But mm-hmm. you have documented better than anyone that ridiculousness is then doubled down, especially in our universities. It's a race against uh, demography. It's a race against the more people go to college, the more they're bearing this virus with them into the body politics. So. Yeah. Conservatives have to stop saying that more people should go to college. This that's is a big mistake. Right. No, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm with that. I wrote a book called Is College Worth It? Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, the, the people we really need to educate on this are the corporations. If they could just start hiring people without paying attention to those degrees instead mm-hmm. on their abilities, their, you know, their habits and their, you know. Their... Yeah. Anyway, um, last word. To tell us, Placido Domingo, um, how good is he? How good is he or was he? Uh, he was, he was, is, uh, you know, his voice is not what it was, but he definitely was one of the greats. It was a extraordinarily variegated voice. Uh, it had sweetness. It had power. It had virility. It had rhythm. It had a sense of line. Uh, and, and he had just a very engaging, charming stage presence. Uh, and he brought music to people outside of the classical music realm as one of the three tenors uh, traveling across the world, playing in World Cup matches. Uh, but but he was a natural. Heather, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the interview. Thank you for writing this piece. Um, people want to talk about the culture, what we're facing. Here's a famous guy with resources and reputation, and you would think defenders, and this is what happened. What about Joe Schmo at the bar down the street, huh? Well, I'm uh, I've I've been a big financial supporter of the Met, and I have notified them. I sent them my article, said that I'm not going to be contributing at those levels any longer. And I urge anybody who is a supporter of the institutions that have pulled away from Domingo and have humiliated this great man and 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 cast dirt on his stellar career uh, to notify the institutions that you are supporting and saying you're not going to do it any longer because this, this sort of cowardice cannot be rewarded. Thank you very much, Heather. Thank you for the conversation, Bill. It's always a pleasure. Wonderful. Great stuff. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. An email from an interested listener. Listen to this. Yeah, so uh, our buddy Don uh, Ugliano uh, emailed in. I'm trying to see if he didn't mention where he's calling from. I'm assuming Florida, uh, given the nature of the email. So he says that um, this past weekend he had some relatives over. Uh, he said they are of the left. He said they're former New Yorkers and they moved to Florida to join family and avoid the uh, state and local taxes there. So they're upper middle class and they live in a gated community near Tampa. Uh, he says they no longer discuss politics, religion, abortion, or anything like that. Uh, to just kind of avoid the fights. Um, they're not even gay rights or anything like that. Uh, he said that they no longer follow each other on Facebook. So they don't, they don't even, they're family and they're not even friends on social media because of this. 
I uh, said this uh, situation has occurred since the election of President Obama. I uh, said we love them just as we have for the last 40-plus uh, years. But this weekend they were discussing, uh, discussing college visitations uh, for one of their grandchildren um, there in Florida. He suggested that they consider University of Florida uh, as the flagship university of the state. Their daughter graduated from there, so they're fond of it. Uh, their response was uh, University of Florida was too conservative. Said he was speechless and advised them that uh, University of Florida is one of the more progressive universities in the state, uh, ranked number seven. He said that their response to that was, well, they allow conservatives to speak, and no conservative should be allowed to speak at a college. This is the relatives who live in the gated community. In Tampa, yes. No conservatives should be allowed to speak. Were they serious? Oh, yeah. That's what he said. He said he lost his usual control. Yeah. Go ahead. And uh, in advising that the college is for the purpose of diversity of thought. Uh, additionally, University of Florida is a public university supported by the tax dollars of both the progressive and the conservative residents of the state. And uh, the conversation dropped immediately um, as they knew they had strayed into deep waters. Wow. Mm-hmm. Don't send your child there because they allow conservatives to speak. Mm-hmm. And no conservative should be allowed to speak on a college campus. So it's moved right out into the open. It's not mm-hmm. secret or it's not, well, there's a problem. Someone will get hurt and just say they shouldn't be allowed to speak. And this isn't a one of these lily-livered academics or academic administrators. This is the relatives. Right, yeah. And he says regular he believes, citizens. Yes, and he believes that they, despite having no political power to silence conservatives, represent a movement that he believes in the future this is where everything's headed. The more conservative the voice, the more conservative the um, the thought, you know, you'll be silenced in society. I was talking to a, a young woman the other night who told a story about um, a family gathering where the subject of abortion came out. And her mom is a very strong pro-life person, active in the movement, so on, strong religious Catholic. And she was giving voice to her opinions to another part of the family, which is strongly pro-choice, even pro-abortion. And at one point, a younger woman cousin, uh, so angry at uh, this young lady's mother for her pro-life position, said, I'm going to shake that out of you, Mm. or something to that effect, and came over with her hands uh, extended like she was going to choke her. Wow. The young uh, young woman I know who uh, was sitting next to her mother got in, in the midst of, in the middle, between her mother and the woman with the extended hands. And the woman with the extended hands then proceeded to put her hands on the throat of the young woman mm. uh, because she's pro-life. I mean, I mean, this is really nuts. Wow. This is really, really bad. Go ahead. Uh, wow. So we've got another email from uh, Melissa. Uh, to say where she's calling from, but it has to do with uh, Notre Dame and college football. Uh, she says, I've emailed you in the past like many others. I love college football. Got my heart broke by my dogs again. I uh, University of Georgia. Yeah. Um, yeah. She says, but I'm used to that. <laughs> she said the Georgia Notre Dame game was by far. Well, wait a minute, though. Georgia, I mean, they, they heartbroken because of uh, the overtime and you know, they missed the field goal and they lost to South Carolina. Right. They had a very good game against Florida. Florida and they've got, a, they've got a shot to get back in the playoffs. It's got to win shot. out and they've got to win the SEC. Uh, if they win the West, which uh, the East, which looks like they'll do, mm-hmm. uh, and then play LSU and beat them, they're in. They're in. Okay. She says uh, the, Notre, the uh, Georgia Notre Dame game was by far the best experience she's uh, ever had the fans were all uh, great to each other irish and uh, bulldogs tailgating together 
He said, let me tell you something. We will never tailgate with <laughs> Auburn <laughs> fan or a Gator. <laughs> so well, there, there's that. Uh, she said, I have two girls at Notre Dame. Now well, that's because that's they have free speech, the University of Florida. <laughs> Right, so They're allowed to say derogatory things about the University of Georgia. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, see, I have two girls at Notre Dame, so I'm a fan. I uh, never was before. I love uh, that they all sing the alma mater prayer, win or lose at every uh, sporting event. I thought you would appreciate um, this interpretation of the gospel, even if you're not a, uh, a Notre Dame fan yet. Uh, I said, thanks for all you do. And the P.S. says, love you. And Claude rocks. Just wanted to read that she wrote it she says she need more manny stories she's got girls in college and so she has one left at home well you gotta give her a manny story uh you got one yeah so uh let's see just how, how old's manny now he's seven 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 he's gonna say five no yeah, no he's seven now uh let's see so uh, i'm in the house a few days ago and we're doing some work and i'm look over and he's sitting down and just you know, really in, intense work on his part. He's got this sheet of paper out, and he's writing, and he's just thinking. And I'm thinking, you know, what are you doing? He has this idea to start a skateboard company. And so he's writing out his idea for his skateboard company. And what he was working on at this point was who he wanted to hire to work there. On the list, by the way, was my wife, his mom, Sierra. Uh-huh. So I said, well, you know, what's the salary and the benefits package? Because she's got yeah, a nice yeah. one at the Federal Reserve Board yeah, right yeah, now. yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, good for him. He's trying to figure. Well, out who's you know, my it. one of my sons is in investment banking, and they they come up with money, seed money I should schedule for a good ideas. So they should have yeah. a meeting. Yeah. And maybe he can help him do a deck. <laughs> right. You know, do a, present a deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manny, God bless him. So good he's boy. trying to figure out who's going to hire for a skateboard company. Okay, good. And that just about does it for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Be sure to tell your family and friends. Share it on your social media pages. Feel free to like me on Facebook, search Bill Bennett, and follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can also email me at BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. 